Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. We are your gracious hosts, Alora and Kitty. And welcome back to season four. And this truthfully has been an episode we've been looking forward to for a long time, maybe our whole lives, because what witch doesn't love a good fairy tale, particularly with a witch in it. Today, we are hopping on our brooms and flying to the land of the Grimm brothers and meeting some of the famous and infamous witches in our favorite bedtime stories. To quote Patti Smith, let us be like Hansel and Gretel and venture out into the black forest of the world. So grab your cuppa and settle in. Kitty. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into all this, were you particularly fond of fairy tales as a child? Do you still like them? What's your favorite fairy tale? Like, give me all the goss on you and fairy tales. Yes. I loved them as a child. I still love them. I mean, I feel like what's not to love, especially when you get older, you kind of I don't know. You see them for what they really are. And my favorite fairy tale. Oh, as a child, I always liked Red Riding Hood. Really? That's like my second favorite. Yeah. Red Riding Hood. And this is going to sound nerdy, but I also really loved nursery rhymes when I was a kid. (laughs) Oh yeah. Who didn't? Yeah. Like, Wink and Blinkin' and Nod was probably one of my favorite nursery rhymes. Oh, yeah. I like that one, too. But How about you? Mm, so I think every kid is fond of fairy tales, but I was pretty obsessed. I still love them, and I have young kids, so what you do, too. And mm-hmm. I think that you w- would probably say that you're pretty up on the latest modern fairy tales. Oh, yes. So like Encanto just came out. Seen it a few uh, times already. <laughs> which, hey, look, this is my opinion, but I loved, I loved it until the ending. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, oh, see, I really liked the ending. I thought the ending wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, also, Luca is probably I another love part. that one. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. The yeah. ending was like, it was great all the way around. Yes. But from my childhood, I think my favorite fairy tale was Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because I always could identify with Belle from being a bookworm and feeling like you don't fit in anywhere and kind of just being a loner, like all of those qualities. But yeah, I always identified with Belle and I think that's why it was always my favorite. But aside from that, I also identified a lot with the misunderstood villainous witches Mm -hmm. who appear in most fairy tales because, um, and because like the lesson in beauty and the beast too had a a major impact on me as a kid, the whole don't judge a book by its cover, et cetera. Ah, yes. Yeah. It is a good one. I always love beauty and the beast too. uh, Honestly. Yeah. The best part of that movie is when the library part, right? You know, I'm sure that yeah. was your favorite part. Yes. 
of course. I was like, <laughs> oh God, build that for me. <laughs> <laughs> should we, I think that we should first talk about the true, some of the true roots to our favorite fairy tales, specifically yeah. how there's darker aspects and even some shamanic aspects within these tales that we call fairy tales. Yeah, for sure. So fairy tales are, and were essentially folk tales passed down originally through word of mouth, uh, basically person to person, you know, through family members, um, for centuries, their oral tradition. And in more recent centuries, folklorists and writers dedicated these old nursery stories and rhymes to paper. So I think that these fairy tales, a lot of them echo ancient myths and get into some comparative mythology. Oh yeah. I mean, if we look, there's so many fairy tales and folk tales that we see mimicked across cultures. Right. And I mean, this is no different than mythologies surrounding death and afterlife and Mm -hmm. what happens with that being are implemented by various indigenous peoples for the sake of the conservation of land, things like that. So very much fairy tales had a much wider purpose than just being stories. Oh yeah. Agreed. And if you guys want to learn about comparative mythology, you can go to last season and listen to our episode on that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So in addition, there's a lot of, when you start to really look at fairy tales through a witch's point of view, you'll notice a lot of shamanic elements behind them. There's a lot of shapeshifters. There are goddesses that are kind of turned into enchantresses and witches. There's things like spinning wheels and the color red. There's a a ton of symbolism that we could probably spend hours discussing. Yeah. You could probably do a podcast on like each fairy tale, to be honest, to pick it apart. Well, we are going to get into some of that. Yeah some of the big ones um, that I feel are are important to the topic. I also find it interesting too, that a lot of the darker aspects in the fairy tales have been erased or changed over time. They've to make them more, Mm. you know, tolerable for society and for children. Right. Uh, A good example of this is Cinderella. (laughs) And Mm. this is a little, gross, but cover your ears. Uh, (laughs) if you don't like it in the original Cinderella, the stepsisters actually cut off their heels to fit their feet into the glass slipper. Mm. And in the end birds peck out their eyes. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think too, a lot of these elements shifted and got changed simply because the dangers and the warnings back then needed to be so dramatic and, and, um, 
extreme in your face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there was different dangers that we don't have in modern society. Like, like literally like trying to protect these kids from death, dying, illness, things like that. True. True fairy tales. I agree. Okay. So notable fairy tale writers and their interest in the occult and mythology. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure everybody knows the Grimm brothers. Yes. I would yes. <laughs> So the brothers in the early 19th century, Germany collected folklore and documented them. Mm-hmm. Um, which turned into Grimm Brothers fairy tales. Jacob, in particular, was inspired by old mythology and spent much of his life researching, studying, and writing about German mythology or Teutonic mythology, mm-hmm. often including anecdotes on the old German gods, traditions, folk tales, and more. He was one of the first to conceptualize the comparative myth of the wild hunt. Again, if you want more on that, that was detailed in the comparative mythology episode from last season. So have a listen to that if you are interested in that little tidbit. Yep. Uh, Okay. So I think we're going to be talking about the wild hunt in detail maybe later this season. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So that would be, that would be a good one to really dive into kind of deep, but I think, you know, the Grimm brothers were the tales that they collected and wrote were not originally meant for children, Mm. at least not children of the time. Like when they wrote these down, when they collected them, I think it was like the late 1800s. Don't quote me on that, but so what happened was they even actually changed some of the stories to make it more tolerable for the children of the time, even. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us about the witch archetype in fairy tales and history? It's an archetype that, you know, the witch has always been around in some fashion and definitely penetrates fairy tales from basically every culture. You'll find a witch archetype, but to quote Judica Ills, she says, fairy tales helped perpetuate the worst stereotyping of witches, but fairy tales also help preserve and transmit witchcraft and shamanic traditions. So this is like, you know, we often see the witch as an archetype in these fairy tales, demonstrating the worst in a person, mm. you know, um, being evil, being greedy, homicidal, etc. We could go on. Yet they also can play good roles in fairy tales. The difference is when these witches are considered good, they're typically labeled something else. Right. So, for example, maybe fairy godmother, goddess, crone, fortune teller, wise woman. It's, you know, it's just, it's interesting though, because they always teach a lesson or challenge the hero in the, in the tale in some way. Mm. So they're, they're needed, you know, there would be no story without the witch. (laughs) Because then Hansel and Gretel wouldn't have had anyone to overcome. (laughs) Exactly. And we're going to, we're going to be talking about those little people here in a second. 
(laughs) So let's go into some actual fairy tales and the the witches that the good stuff people good stuff yes (laughs) so Hansel and Gretel this is probably another one of my favorite fairy tales and I know that sounds kind of odd but I've just always kind of liked it as well it's just because you're a kitchen witch and the witch is like you know has a house full of treats probably (laughs) so This particular tale was collected and recorded by Jacob Grimm in 1817. Okay, so it was early 1800s. I misspoke before. Anyway, this is a tale of two children who are led into the forest and abandoned by their father. Uh, A request that was put in by their evil stepmother. Yes, thanks for that, fairy tales. (laughs) You know what's funny about that, though? In the original, this is something that they changed in in the original Grimm's brother tale it was actually the mother but they thought that that was mm-hmm. like wrong to put in there so they made him <laughs> like it's not wrong to say the stepmother did it but anyway yes well we can get into a whole lot of how fairy tales have perpetuated the stereotype of evil and stepmother i know i agree but anyways that is not what we're here for continue <laughs> So the children find a house made of gingerbread and candy. And of course there is a witch residing inside. They eat the house without asking and the witch finds them, then leads them inside only to kidnap them. She attempts to feed them, to fatten them up eventually with a plan of eating them and which, okay. I just have to cut in real quick and say about this. If she has a house made of candy and gingerbread, why is she spending all this time fattening up these children to eat them. I don't know. Maybe she just likes the taste of human. I just think logically it just doesn't. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) The girl, the little girl tricks the witch in the end and basically pushes her into her own oven, killing the witch. And then the children take the witch's jewels, ride on the back of the swan over a lake and return home to find their wonderful father alive and missing them terribly. And of course the stepmother has died of unknown causes. We assume maybe starvation, who knows? Mm. So I think that, so if you, this is an interesting fairy tale too, because they, a lot of scholars have drawn a connection between the stepmother and the witch it's almost like when the witch is pushed into the oven, then the stepmother dies as well. My opinion of the witch in Hansel and Gretel is that I'd be pissed if someone came and just started eating my house. <laughs> you know, like they didn't, they didn't knock on the door. They didn't, they weren't like, Hey lady, like our parents abandoned us in the black forest and we're really hungry. Can I get a nibble off your roof? <laughs> nah, these trespassing little creatures just yeah. rocked up and started eating the siding. Like that's not okay. <laughs> I know it's messed up, man. You'd be mad too. If somebody was taking chunks out of your shutters, you know, <laughs> anyway, I just never got that. Like, I don't, I don't get, I didn't get that part, especially too, when it's like the witch is like, Oh, they're, you know, she's going to kidnap them and eat them. Okay. But clearly she has the resources to not have to eat the children. So I kind of always liked, I kind of sympathize with the witch in this fairy tale. Yes. And also, I don't know. I don't know if the Grimm brothers 
meant for the witch in this story to be Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I know that in several different versions in Eastern Europe, that is who the witch is in Hansel and Gretel. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Which makes it even more like, hmm. Wow. Yeah. The more recent, uh, I forget if it's Gretel or Hansel and Gretel, whatever the movie was called, they sort of show, not to spoil it for anybody, but they sort of show the girl becoming uh, like doing chores for the witch and kind of being taken under her wing a little bit. Mm. So that kind of does play into the whole Baba Yaga um, and Vasilisa story. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what about the swan? So I had never heard about the swan until I really started reading into Hansel and Gretel because it's typically excluded from, you know, our version of the tale, but the swan in the lake, I'm, I was wondering if this is some sort of otherworldly journey, possibly mm-hmm. like the whole thing, the swan, right. the swan kind of being like the psychopomp that leads the kids back to the physical plane. Mm-hmm. Just a theory. Um, you know, in Norse mythology, the swan is linked to the Valkyrie who they were also psychopomps. And interestingly too, there, I read a a theory about a scholar linking Hansel and Gretel's tale to a proto-Indo-European coming of age ritual in the forest. Huh. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also swan, the creature, the swan is also linked to Anya in Celtic mythology. Well, there you go. Otherworldly stuff, right? It makes Mm -hmm. sense. So I feel like a lot of this stuff is just kind of little morsels left in the forest for us that were once really robust stories, maybe, you know, centuries and centuries ago. Right. So perhaps even the real meaning has been lost even. Oh, I'm sure some of it has. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about the dad because there, that is some serious, like, who does that for real? Who just leaves their kids in the woods because their spouse told them to. Well, this, and I was reading about a little bit about this too. This was actually pretty common in the medieval times because, you know, you had famine, you had, um, starvation and it was pretty common for parents to abandon their children in forests or in churchyards if they couldn't care for them any longer. Hmm. Pretty sad. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, onto a brighter note, how about you talk about Sleeping Beauty slash Briar Rose? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, the next fairy tale we're going to get into is Sleeping Beauty, also known as Briar Rose. Um, Briar Rose is the German version of Sleeping Beauty. Um, the stories are the same. So, the princess is born, the king invites 12 wise women to the party for getting to invite the 13th. The 13th is offended, crashes the party and puts a curse on the princess that when she's 15, she'll prick her finger on a, the spindle of a spinning wheel and die. Mm -hmm. When we pull this one apart, 
a little bit, the number 13, right? So that is a number that's feared by a lot of people with Christian ideology, but it's tied to shamanic tradition and mythology throughout time. Yep. Jesus and the 12 disciples, right? And then Judas is often considered the 13th. Yep. And also Loki is the 13th Norse God. Um, so there's a bit and, and 13 is the witch's number. Yes. Baker's dozen and these things. 13 Um, uh, lunar cycles, right? Right. Right. So 13 is definitely tied to feminine power, (laughs) obviously. Yep. So no wonder it was turned into something bad. (laughs) Exactly. There's modern films, of course, about Sleeping Beauty, um, but they focus on Maleficent, who is the evil fairy sorceress or the 13th uh, wise woman who cast this spell, Um, which Maleficent's story is like, oh, I just think it's terrible. Hers as well. Yeah. You don't, you didn't like those movies? No, no, no. I did. Oh, okay. But I just like empathize. Oh, for sure. Okay. I thought you were saying you didn't like the movies. I was going to say, oh my God, I love those movies. No, I just feel like she got a raw deal. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. I totally sympathize with her too. Um, And then the spinning wheel, right? So again, we're seeing like a tie to womanhood, uh, moon cycle, spinning of fate and the weird, the Norns, Berkta, Freya. I mean, we're getting into all of that when we read or um, tell the story of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, the spinning wheel comes up a lot and fairy tales. I mean, it was a tool that was used quite a bit, but it's, it's just interesting how that plays such a big part in some of these. Mm. Did you always like Sleeping Beauty? I never liked it, to be honest with you. It wasn't my favorite. No. Yeah. I never but, thought it. I mean, I, I, okay. This is the part that I was always like, why? Okay. So the King decides that to prevent his daughter from pricking her finger on the spindle, that he's going to gather all of the spinning wheels in the entire kingdom and burn them, put them burn, supposedly burn them, but then put the remnants in his castle. Yeah. Duh. Why would you burn them? (laughs) You know, like what? Uh, Anyway, so then of course, you know, your 15 or 16 year old daughter is going to venture down where she's not supposed to be going and then be like, I'm going to touch this spindle. Yeah, that's another thing. Why in the hell would you touch it anyway? (laughs) Maybe she was in a trance. I don't freaking know. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but I mean, I think I would be mad too if I wasn't like invited, invited to her party. <laughs> they don't say why he didn't invite her to the party in the original fairy tale. They're just like, oh yeah, he didn't invite the 13th one. She got pissed and rolled up and was like, I'm gonna put a curse on your daughter now. Yeah, you'd think that you'd cover all your bases. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows? So one of my modern, well, one of my current favorite fairy tales is Mother Hala, because it showcases Hala or aka Holda who could also be an aspect of Bershta, which is a goddess who is dear to my heart. 
So a lot of people haven't heard this one though. I mean, it is, it's, it's a well-known one, but it's not one that's like told a lot. So here goes, the story goes, there's two daughters, one lazy and one hardworking. The hardworking one is spinning near a well. There's the spinning wheel again. Mm. Pricks her finger and goes to wash off the spindle in the well when it's, it falls into the well and is submerged. So the mother sends the daughter to the bottom of the well to retrieve it. The girl wakes up in another world. There's a beautiful meadow, flowers, birds singing, the whole otherworldly bit. She mm. meets Mother Hala, who is an old woman, you know, in her cottage. She has really large teeth. And that's like a, a weird aspect of the story, but it's important for some reason. She has very large, long teeth. And uh, the girl stays with Mother Hala and feeds her and helps with the chores. So the girl asks to go home one day and Mother Hala leads her through a door home and showers her in gold. Well, the lazy sister sees that, you know, her hardworking sister comes home with all these riches and proceeds to do the same exact thing that the hardworking sister did in order to acquire some gold for herself. But the problem is that she treats Mother Hala with disrespect. And so Mother Hala sends her through the door, showering her in deadly pitch. Mm. I've been stuck on that teeth part. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what did that symbolize? So it's interesting too, with Bershta, who people have linked to Mother Hala, you know, the goddess Bershta, as well as the Christmas hag that we've talked about before. She, another name for Bershta is old iron nose because she had a really long nose that was supposedly made of iron in some of the tales. Hmm. So you have like these, you know, misshapen teeth and long teeth and long nose. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting aspect of it that I don't know if anybody knows anymore, but it had to have had some kind of deep meaning at the time. Or maybe they were just details thrown in to make these witches scary. Could be, but I feel like the iron nose part, there's more to that. Cause then they would have just said long nose. Do you know what I mean? Like, why does it have to be iron? Something to ponder. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I think, yeah. And then to Mother Hala is also uh, linked to Frau Hala, which is the witch queen in Germany. And I think they say when she shakes her bedding out, then it, it snows in Germany. They still say that like today. Frau Hala is also a leader of the wild hunt, as is Bershta. All right. So the story of Rapunzel, um, a poor couple are pregnant. The woman is starving and asks her husband to get her some of the vegetables, Rapunzel, from the neighbor's garden. He doesn't ask for it or buy it, barter for it, etc. but he climbs the wall and steals it from his neighbor. Uh, the neighbor is called a witch or enchantress or in some versions of the story, even a fairy. The witch is clearly well off uh, if she has a stocked garden during a time of famine and also a wall that encloses her garden. The witch catches the man stealing from her and tells him she'll give him more in exchange for their unborn child. So when the child is born, the witch comes to collect and names her Rapunzel. Mm -hmm. He shuts her in a tower in the forest and visits her by climbing her very long hair. And a prince eventually comes across 
the locked away princess climbs up, falls in love with her and in earlier versions impregnates her. Mm-hmm. The witch finds out and cuts off Rapunzel's hair and banishes her from the forest. The prince climbs into the tower and discovers Rapunzel is gone and a witch is in her place. The witch doesn't push him as is often the story told, but the prince jumps out of the tower and falls into a bramble, which blinds him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's some <laughs> things to unpack. <laughs> right. Okay. So the witch might have just been a wealthy woman accused of witchcraft in medieval times. Yeah. Um, as was the case with a lot of single women who had money. Right. Because there's no way <laughs> that you can have money and be single, like, and be a, a woman. single woman back then? No, no, no. It just doesn't happen. But which is super interesting though, right? Because if you go back even further to like Norse culture, um, Viking culture, mm-hmm. the women ran that. Like oh, they yeah. could force, they could, they could do all kinds of stuff. They could mm-hmm. hold the wealth. Um, and then when you get further in town, ta- like fur- further into modern time that stuff goes away yep down with the patriarchy anyway (laughs) exactly (laughs) okay so so yeah oh go ahead nope you go ahead i was gonna say there's we see this theft in this fairy tale again that's being brushed over yeah you know same with hansel and gretel like oh it's okay that they're eating this woman's house and oh it's okay that this guy climbed over this woman's wall and stole her vegetables like no one ever addresses that <laughs> yeah you know it makes me mad <laughs> eye for an eye in it <laughs> exactly or rapunzel for a baby <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah no anyway um i just think it's interesting that the theft part in some of these fairy tales no one ever really addresses that and that's right. another reason why I empathize with the witch. <laughs> yeah. So and then Rapunzel's hair, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That could represent her psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and once the girl gives up her virginity, the witch feels that she's no longer worthy of these abilities. So she's yeah. not, or like, was she holding her as an initiate? Exactly. Like, Mm, what's going on there? Yeah. There's some interesting theories and ways that you could look at that fairy tale, but also you could look at it too, through the lens of the maiden mother crone archetype, right? So once her hair is cut, she's no longer a maiden. If she's impregnated in some of the versions of the story Mm, and we know, yeah. And we know that hair it has been extremely important in magical traditions as um, an identifier, uh, like an object that holds magical significance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So okay. start us off on the little mermaid. Cause this is really interesting. Well, first I want to say that this was the first movie I ever saw in the movie theater, not to date myself, Aww. but anyway, so little mermaid, First written, no, not first written, but the one that we all know is by Hans Christian Andersen. Mm-hmm. Most of us know the story, but if you don't, here's the real Little Mermaid tale. Haha, uh-huh. get it? Tale. <laughs> <laughs> 
ah, there's the cheesy humor that we were talking about that we don't like. No, I'm just kidding. So (laughs) a mermaid lives in the ocean with her father, who is also the sea king, her grandmother, and five sisters. At the age of 15, she's permitted to go to the ocean surface, and she does so finding a ship with a hot prince who is apparently being thrown a birthday party at the time. She watches from a distance, but when a storm sinks the ship, the little mermaid saves the dude. Hmm. Then she goes home and she asks her grandmother about humans and her grandmother tells her humans have an eternal soul and that mermaids do not. Apparently they turn to sea foam after they die. The little mermaid decides she wants a piece of the soul pie and that she wants to be a part of their world Uh Wink, and seeks advice from the local sea witch. So the sea witch actually warns her against using magic and following through with this not so bright idea, but ends up giving the little mermaid a spell to transform her into a human with legs and tells her she must get the prince to fall in love with her and marry her in one day, one day's time in order to acquire a soul and live as a human from then on. As you could tell, there's problems in paradise when the prince decides he loves another princess for whom he confuses for his savior uh, during the sea storm that day. And in the Disney movie, if you've seen the Disney movie, he marries the little mermaid and they live happily ever after. But in the real story, the prince marries the other princess and the little mermaid dies of a broken heart and turns to sea foam the following day. Well, that's just depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. My Lord. So I think first, before we get into like what I really want to talk about, we have to touch on the sea witch first because, well, she's awesome too. But I always felt like she was seriously misunderstood. Well, she told her like 15 times. Yeah, she warned. You do understand what you're doing here, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, dude, this is not a good idea. You shouldn't do this, you know, but she helps her out anyway. And it's still not good enough, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> in the Disney movie, she has a lot of character, Ursula. She's always yes. been, like one of my favorite Disney villains Two, what I kind of like about her. <laughs> she's truly just like seeking her own power. And aren't we all right. looking to dominate a slice of the sea? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then let's talk about the fact that this story literally provides the message to little girls that they can gain a soul through marriage. Mm. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of gross. And it also paints the picture that elementals have no soul. That's true as well, which is not true. Well, at least in my opinion. Oh, I agree. I, this, like this whole breakdown of the little mermaid actually like really angered me when I was, when I was researching it. Well, yeah. And you know, if you, if you go back even further, okay. So let me preface this by saying that I was born and raised on the East coast of Virginia. So down, I think the best way to put it was we lived an hour and a half North of the outer banks of North Carolina mm-hmm. on the coast, Virginia beach, which was nearby growing up. Every year they had, well, and they still do. It's called Neptune Fest, which we all know Neptune is the Roman equivalent of, oh, help Poseidon. me. Poseidon. Thank you. 
Uh-huh. Okay. So then thinking about that, when I saw this movie, when I saw The Little Mermaid as a kid, I thought, oh, Neptune. Like, I immediately linked the mythology. For sure. Right. Which I haven't looked into, like, look, trust me, I haven't studied the mythology of Poseidon Neptune very well. But I often wonder, like, what parts of this story have to do with that mythology as well. There definitely is because in the movie, Little Mermaid's God's sake, huh? I said he has a trident for God's sake. Well, and his name is Triton, T R I T O N, which is actually a, I want to say a sea nymph in Greek mythology. I think you're right. And interestingly enough, or like a trident. demigod or something, I forget. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the trident from Poseidon mm-hmm. and Poseidon, Neptune, whatever, that is one of the things that Christians borrowed to create the devil. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's we're going to do an episode on the well about the devil. And that is one of the, because basically the image of the devil was created by taking s- several different pagan deities and borrowing Uh um, things from them and like creating an amalgamation of evil. I'm really excited about that episode. Actually. I think it's going to be really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So that all being said, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would love to like sit and pick this apart as far as comparative mythology goes, because I feel like there's more where that's concerned. Definitely. And, you know, another thing, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm going on a tangent. No, do it. Oh, no. And and like, okay. So as a, like, as a kid, of course, every, every kid usually loves the little mermaid, every little girl anyway. Oh yeah. But as I've like become. Did you used to pretend you were a mermaid in the pool and like flip your hair back and all? Um, yes, (laughs) but. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. My cousin actually thought she was the little mermaid. Like she would sing the songs and oh yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. Yep. But as an adult watching this, the only thing I can think of was hell no, you're not going to the surface. You are 16 years old. You don't know anything about life. Sit down. I know. Yeah. (laughs) 16 year old running off to get married with some dude. I don't think so. Right. Alicia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Better off a seafoam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're going to be seafoam when I get a hold of you. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. But I'm done. I'm done. I'm off my soapbox now. No but. worries. We're going to talk but, about. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it just goes to show like how your perspective changes from childhood and adulthood. Oh. Looking at- I will say that I really like how Disney has switched gears with how they paint the picture of princesses now. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. They're a little more independent, a little more, you know, a little less huh? sovereign. Oh, I was just throwing in words there. Autonomous, okay. sovereign. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sovereign. I love that. I love that word. So let's talk about Mother Goose. Yes. Let's do it. I think... Most of us, at least the elder millennials and Gen Xers listening and, and, and generations before know who mother goose is, Mm. 
but I feel like the newer generations generations are missing out on some of this stuff. I don't hear a lot of my son being taught about mother goose or even some of the fairy tales, right? It's kind of a shame, but anyway, mother goose was first documented in France and she was actually the teller of fairy tales rather than the mother of rhymes. She's first mentioned in 1650 and then further detailed by Charles Perrault in 1697, in which he published the tales of Mother Goose. So it was a collection of fairy tales, including Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Red Riding Hood, and Puss in Boots. (laughs) Mother Goose is shown on the cover with a cat, some children, and a man, and she's sitting at a spinning wheel. What do you know? To me, automatically, I'm thinking witch and goddess. Yes. And so there's a nursery rhyme about Mother Goose that I would like to, for us to kind of think about. (laughs) Okay. And it goes, old Mother Goose, when she wanted to wander, would ride through the air on a very fine gander. Mother Goose had a house, twas built in a wood, an owl at the door for a porter stood So I had to look up what a porter was Mm. and found that a porter's job in medieval times was to guard the door of a church. So I just thought it was interesting that mother goose has a guardian at her front door, right? So we can deduce that mother goose's house is a sanctuary. Yeah. Hmm. And there's an owl at the front door. Right. And I, there's, this is actually a a longer nursery rhyme, but I just wanted to cover like the first few lines that I felt were most significant. Would ride has a house in the wood, right? Like, like the witch in Hansel and Gretel, like Baba Yaga. Mm, Riding through the air. Hello. Oh yeah. Did you always like mother goose or were you not into that? Oh yeah. I mean, I was look, I was told so many nursery rhyme stories fairy tales as a kid that I haven't done enough like research as an adult to go back and be like oh this is a mother goose story this is a Grimm's brother story I guess I know some mm-hmm. but yes I was told all kinds of all kinds of stuff and nursery rhymes and yeah so I think in addition to mother goose spinning her tails with the spinning wheel, the Mm. precursors to mother goose in France and Italy were, they called her queen Bertha and also goose foot Bertha, Mm. which is really interesting too, because the goose foot reference links her to the Germanic goddess Bersta, which we've been talking about a little bit. And uh, hmm. the reason for that is that bears just sometimes manifests with one goose foot. Yeah. The, and, and, and again, you can also draw a parallel to Bobby Ga because although she doesn't have goose feet, her house has chicken feet. That's right. Oh, good point. <laughs> so I think the goose aspect of this and particularly with Bershta is it's giving a nod to the shape-shifting abilities. Right. And I think there's also people that have connected Mother Goose with the goddess Holda, as well as Frau Hala, who we talked about before. 
it's it's interesting too that another witch goddess will sometimes manifest with a goose foot and that is Lilith. Hmm. So there you have it. That's my take on Mother Goose. There, I I recommend everyone purchasing a copy of the old Mother Goose nursery rhymes and reading through it. There are there's actually spells in there. They're not just rhymes and stories. It's it's some of them are kind of they're just really interesting. You have to read through it. Let me ask you another question. Mm-hmm. We read a book back in 2021 called the ones and future witches yeah and in that book they used fairy tales nursery rhymes for spells yes or well the author did well the characters did but the author wove that in there mm-hmm. um and even cited i think what fairy tales etc they were from if i remember right yes so did that, has that given you inspiration in writing spells afterwards? Like, I don't know, I you guess. Know what? I did actually, while we were reading that book, there was one that I used and I, I don't remember what it is now, but I remember being so struck by it that I wrote it down and used it. Yeah. I guess like that's, I guess that's my question. Like, I feel like, you know, the Grimm's brothers, mother goose and fairy tale, stories from your which I don't know when that exactly is but you know your long time yes. ago <laughs> the old days of your yeah could <laughs> but I feel like there's a treasure trove of power words and power phrases in there that just haven't been dug out for, for practical use definitely Who I knows, agree I actually I put is. one into a meme recently and posted online because I thought it was so cool and I posted on Facebook and there was some random dude that like commented this is absolutely terrible like he was offended by it I'm like dude it's a nursery rhyme (laughs) oh my but it went because there's actually nursery rhymes that talk about protecting yourself against witchcraft of course Mm. and one of them goes if I'm remembering correctly it says by Rowan branch and red thread bind the witches all in dread. Yeah. And that's a nursery Uh, rhyme folks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have, I have a cousin who, um, her name is Mary. Uh, but when we were kids, that was one that we sang all the time. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How did your garden grow? Mm -hmm. But I also think that that again is, I think that's witchcraft. (laughs) I agree because I think it talks about like cockle shells. What is that? What is that? Is that she's grinding up snail shells? She's grinding up seashells. Are they eggshells? Yeah. Should I look it up? (laughs) (laughs) Cockle shells. Yeah, you're right. It's a type of shell. Yeah. It's a mollusk shell. Weird. Oh, I never looked at it like that before. That is a really good point. Yeah. So bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. Yeah. So what does that mean? Pretty maids all in a row fairies. Is that what we're talking about? Wow. Oh, I'm like wanting to read through the whole nursery rhyme book now. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, these are interesting when you think about it. 
I agree. Like, like why is Mary in her garden putting, putting some shells out? Like what is actually going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, should we wrap it up? I think so. So we'd like to thank our listeners for your support, whether you're new or returning. Grant us some of your magical energy, if you will, and subscribe to and review the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. Be sure to check out Alora's website at alorarain.com for tarot readings, numerology, and soul origin profiles. And if you're looking for a show on the witchy racier side, subscribe to our shadow podcast, Amir's Well, now on your preferred podcast app. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.